the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I know you. I know you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 262 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.04 a.m. on September 26, 2021. Here to join me today, I have Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Bianca Gardner. Hello. And Lauren LaMagna. Hey, everybody. Tom O'Brien joining us here. I, I met him for the first time this past week in New York for the New York Film Festival. It was quite a lovely experience getting a chance to meet Tom for the first time in person. So that was really great. And that's like what we're going to be talking about here mostly for this episode. Uh, we have the trailer for the tragedy of Macbeth which dropped this week and plus the world premiere which occurred at the 59th annual New York Film Festival. We got some other trailers too for Finch, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, Passing which is also playing at NYFF but this week is primarily our conversation surrounding uh, the New York Film Festival. We'll go over the polls, we'll answer some fan questions. It might sound like I'm breezing through this episode, but believe it or not, it's because I too have to go to other screenings at, you guessed it, NYFF. <laughs> so let's not waste any time. Let's catch up with what everyone's been watching this past week. Starting us off first with Josh Parham. Yeah, so I actually have been able to catch up with Car. Uh, quite a few things this week. Uh, I did see Dear Evan Hansen, for which there is a podcast review of it. And shockingly, I did not hate it. I actually kind of liked it. It's got a lot of problems, but I did think that some parts of the story worked for me. So you can listen to our podcast for my full thoughts on that. And just to say, too, about that podcast review, I like that we had a wide range of opinions on that review. So if you want to hear um, a, a, a non-aggressive but friendly conversation in regards to uh, why that film works and why it doesn't work. I highly recommend listening to that yes, one. Yes, we had a very wide range of opinions, which I really liked. I think that was a good episode. Yeah. I also checked out The Guilty, the new movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, and we're going to have a podcast review of that, so I won't go into my thoughts too much. I'll just say I liked it. It was entertaining. I also felt it was completely unnecessary because it's basically the first movie nearly to a T, so... It doesn't really do anything different, but, you know, if you just want to see the English language, language version, then it's fine. It's a good movie. I think there is a conversation to be had on that review in regards to not necessarily shot for shot remakes, but like you said there, Josh, just kind of redoing the same thing over again. And maybe we need to train our listeners out there to seek out the originals as opposed to waiting for these English uh, remakes. Yeah, especially with this one that, like, it's even basically the same running time. So it is nearly identical. So, yep. But we'll have that conversation uh, later. Uh, I also got to finally see this movie, Mogul Mowgli, with Riz Ahmed. Yes. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I finally got a chance to see it. And 
it's another one that I really thought was good. I think the story itself is pretty simple. It's not very complex or nuanced, but for this character study of this guy going through like these sort of multiple changes in his life, both like physically with this mental condition, but also kind of culturally kind of things that he's dealing with. I thought it was good. Um, it's not great, but it was an enjoyable movie. I would recommend that one also. Uh, <laughs> I finally caught up with a very small movie that Matt, I know you will know about called Surge. Oh my God. I saw that two years ago. My yeah. Lord. Yeah. Well, you know why I had to see this. Oh yeah. Ben Wishaw. Come on. Yes, exactly. And I know that you particularly were not a fan of this movie, correct? Oh, I hated this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, this goes to show you how objective I can be when it comes to film criticism, because I didn't really like the movie either. It was very aimless and really didn't seem like there was a point to it with any of these characters. And even though I love Ben Wishaw, this isn't really the flavor of Ben Wishaw that I like in, in his performances. So, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. But I had to see it because Ben Wishaw was in it. <laughs> he if, if you just want to see Ben Wishaw just completely unhinged and in a very fully committed performance that amounts to absolutely nothing other than sheer spectacle, then I guess see it. But yeah, I, I think everything surrounding that performance is empty. And yeah, like you said, Josh, completely aimless. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately so. So just because it has been wish on it and it does not mean it, I'm guaranteed to like it. So we have that out there. All right, we got you down. Now we just have to move on to Nicole with Adam Driver, and then our mission is complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing that I want to mention is I have been doing some rewatches of stuff this week, and one of the things that I was rewatching were the Matrix movies because I sort of got in the mood after watching that trailer for like a dozen times. And one thing that I hadn't actually seen up until this point was that I finally saw the Animatrix. Oh, nice. And it, it's interesting. Um, it kind of actually reminds me of this Netflix show that's on right now called Love, Death and Robots, where it's basically like just these anthology stories with technology uh, attached to it. And it's basically what this is. And I know it had been out for a while, but I had never gotten a chance to see it. And they're all like very fascinating animated stories. Like some are better than others, obviously, as all anthologies are. But it was good. And if you haven't seen that one, I would recommend that as well. It's on HBO Max right now. Nice. I, too, plan on rewatching the Matrix trilogy in the lead up to The Matrix Resurrections because, quite frankly, I've always liked those movies. I, I recognize that the sequels are inferior to the original, which is a Stone Cold masterpiece. But I think that the sequels get unfairly criticized sometimes. Uh, and I think they're better than people remember that, that they are. Yeah, there is a mixture of good and bad in those sequels. And no matter how you look at it, I still think that there is something very interesting to discuss with them. Yeah, we might have to uh, consider uh, maybe some sort of a podcast special for uh, that when it comes to uh, December. We'll keep that on the back burner. Yeah, maybe so. All right, let's move it over now to Lauren LaMagna. Lauren, what did you catch up with this week? So being the theater girl that I am, I had to check out Dear Evan Hansen just to see how it went. And I think um, I was always nervous when I found out this was going to be adapted because I didn't think it was going to translate well. And I was right. I think <laughs> <laughs> I will say that um, I did 
kind of enjoyed the first half, so I thought I was also being manipulated. But then it just trailed off, and I just think that by changing the show, changing the story to be just about Evan and not about um really two families that have um, mentally ill teenagers at the center really hurt the story. And um, yeah, it's just kind of a misfire in general, and I'm a little sad about that. But if you do want to watch a film center around teenagers that also talk about mental health, I recommend The Perks of Being a Wallflower that I also watched this week to do a Patreon review. You guys can check that out, which I love. I think it's wonderful. And then I also checked out The Mad Woman's Ball, which was on Amazon Prime because it's the end of September. It's fall. It is spooky season. I am ready to celebrate. And I love to to gravitate more towards gothic horror than jump scares and just being terrified because I get scared easily. So I thought this um, story of a woman who is seeing dead people in, you know, the 19th century and then getting locked up in an institution was right up my alley. And Melanie Laurent is so cool at what she does. And she's one of those artists that I'm following out. I will see anything that she's in, whether she's acting, writing or directing. And the fact that she did all three in this is pretty cool. And I think, yeah, the story of, you know, that gothic element, how it talks about humanity, especially in a period setting, and who is crazy and who is not, especially with women at the center, was really cool to watch. And I think when it hits, it really hits. So if you want to check that out, that's on Amazon Prime right now. Awesome. Love it. All right, Bianca, you're up. Yeah, so I've been trying to recover and watch some movies that are, you know, feel-good movies to help me take my mind off things so i watched paddington for like nice. the, first, the first ever time oh even nicer <laughs> yeah so cute i love that movie it made me instantly feel in a good mood and i also watched um scott pilgrim versus the world because i haven't seen that film for like ages and i still can't get over the fact that that film bombed at the box office it's so yeah. brilliant and i've been watching a few documentaries on netflix so uh, i uh, caught the Schumacher documentary which was really interesting but kind of fizzled out towards the end and I also caught the Bob Ross um, documentary which I knew nothing about Bob Ross I know the name but obviously being a Brit I never really watched any of his like painting TV show so that was interesting and I also um, watched a Fisher King which was maybe a, a not the right movie to put me in a, in a good mood but was still you know um, quite still really enjoyable in, in lots of ways so oh and last night I watched Hocus Pocus to try and get me in a Halloween mood and uh, <laughs> that film is always so much fun I think you can watch it at any time of the year but you know as it's coming up to Halloween, I thought I would start my uh, Halloween watching early. So, yeah, that's just what I've been up to. Love it. Love it. All right, Tom, I know you and I have a lot to talk about here in regards to NYFF. Before I get into that, though, is there anything outside of NYFF that you want to mention? Well, with uh, all of the screenings we had, I did manage to see two movies that are in theaters 
uh, right now. Uh, wow. This week, because after all, you got to watch something during breakfast. <laughs> busy, busy guy. Busy guy. <laughs> uh, but I would uh, very highly recommend to uh, I'm Your Man, uh, the uh, German film directed by Maria Schrader. Yes. Who won an Emmy uh, a year or two ago for directing the net, that Netflix series Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. He's uh, no, well known to awards people. Um, Maren Eggert, uh, wonderful actress, plays a scientist who is uh, uh, agrees to be part of an experiment uh, uh, living with a humanoid robot who is designed to make her happy. Uh, and uh, it's a it, it has all of the traditional rom com tropes with the sci fi layer on top of it. It makes for a very unique and delightful hybrid. And uh, Eggert is terrific, and Dan Stevens. Uh, talk about someone. I really admire his career after Downton. He's taken some major chances uh, with genre movies like The Guest, and he's, you know, wonderfully silly stuff uh, like Eurovision Song Contest and, uh, of course, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, he's really carved his own path here, and he's really, really good in this. Um, it's, you know, it's probably one of his very best performances in one of his least emotional performances. But uh, he's he's really terrific. It's the German submission for the Oscar. I don't know if it's going to be seen as a little too gimmicky for the Oscar, because usually that goes to serious stuff. But it's absolutely a delightful uh, time at the movies. And the quality is there. I, too, want to echo this. I saw this back in Berlin in the spring. And if you like quirky uh, rom-coms, uh, this one is just in German. That's really it <laughs> but i echo everything that you said as far as dan stevens's performance i thought he was excellent in this he's really superb uh in 180 degrees from that but still good um i had to get a palate cleanser so i saw a cop shop <laughs> you were asking me about that you were like should, should i venture to go see this <laughs> And I did. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, I got a real kick out of it. It's a neat little thriller. It takes place in the police precinct. And uh, Frank Grillo plays a con artist who's on the run from a hitman. And he has the brilliant idea to get himself arrested uh, and put in jail so that he can escape the hitman who's pursuing him. Problem is, the hitman, played by Gerard Butler, uh, has the same idea. So the two of them are in cells opposite each other, and it becomes this major test of wills. And the rookie cop who's caught in the middle, played wonderfully by an actress named uh, Alexis Lauder, uh, has to negotiate all of this stuff and uh, a a crooked cop who's a mole in her uh, precinct. There's a lot going on in it, but it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you're looking for a wonderful palate cleanser, which it really was for me, uh, I would recommend Cop Shop. Yeah, it reminded me of like those B movie, like pulp thrillers of like the 70s. You yeah. know, it just had like a really cool sort of retro style to it uh, while also feeling contemporary. Uh, I, I, I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed that because I expected it to be crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Gerard Butler's in it, so. <laughs> but he's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. So, I mean, for myself, uh, outside of NYFF, which, you know, like I said, we'll we'll get into here in a bit. I do have uh, just a very quick few things here. Uh, Number one is I can talk about uh, a movie called Lamb Now. Uh, This is a film that is not at all what I was expecting. I thought I was going to get an A24 uh, horror film and 
traditional to A24. I guess I should catch on to their uh, to their uh, you know magic by now. They have a tendency to market films as horror, and then they turn out not to be. <laughs> but it is still a very unsettling movie and bizarre. I don't want to reveal why, uh, but my audience I saw it with didn't really know what to make of it. They were going from shocked to laughter to just you could sense the tension in the room as as the story was uh unfolding it's beautifully shot i mean like gorgeously shot so it, it looks amazing uh but it's not one that i recommend easily to people i also saw the many saints of newark which we will have a uh, podcast review of but suffice to say as someone who saw The Sopranos many, many, many years ago and also is also a very big fan of the crime genre, uh, this was a disappointment for me. I've seen some people who responded to it more positively than I did, so maybe it will, it will work for you. Uh, one thing is for certain, though, and that is Alessandro Nivola gives a really terrific performance in it as uh, Dickie um, Multisanti. Unfortunately... Michael Gandolfini, who is, you know, really like kind of the marketing's hook for this movie because it's uh, James Gandolfini's uh, real life son who's playing uh, a younger Tony Soprano in this. He's barely in the movie. And when he is, I just didn't think he was that great. So there'll be more to come on that when we do our review. Uh, but for now, um, I was more mixed negative than I wanted to be. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's a movie journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the movie journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Heading over to NYFF. Why don't we start off with the big one first? Let's talk about the trailer and the reactions to Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, starring Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, and a few others. Here we go. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. All right, so other than myself and Tom, who have seen the movie, what do you all think of this trailer? Looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it looks really, really intriguing. Yeah, it's undeniably... So, in terms of the visuals, uh, Bruno Delbanel came to play 
and boy oh boy did he ever um i i think that is uh, you know it's a short teaser it's less than a minute long there's very very few shots it is trying to sell the tone of it but um there was there was an interview that denzel and francis and joel cohen uh gave this past week where they went into more detail about the film and what they're trying to do with it and i would say tom uh, you know feel free to jump in if you want i would say this is maybe the most accessible Shakespeare uh, can probably be in 2021 for a modern audience without changing the text because the text is kept intact. But Cohen restructured the play, took bits out, condensed it to a, a, a very brisk 102 minutes. And it plays almost like a Game of Thrones style political thriller. Um, I was very captivated by it. As was I. Uh, it it is so striking visually, and uh, it's I, it's it is funny. You really do need to pay attention to it because all of the extraneous Shakespeare has been taken out. So all of the remaining dialogue is really key mm. in into uh, revealing the characters. Uh, and what will help help along are, are the visuals. They are absolutely stunning. If there's only, if there's a minor, minor quibble I have is that there were moments I thought that the visuals were almost too stunning, uh, that I would be fascinated with, how did they do that? Whereas important expository dialogue is being said. That being said though, this is a major achievement. And uh, it, with performances from actors who know how to play Shakespeare. Yes. Denzel Washington has done it on Broadway. uh, And uh, uh, Frances McDormand has played Lady Macbeth once before. Uh, The most interesting thing to me is how old they are. Because Macbeth usually is played by a younger couple, an ambitious couple on the way up. This couple is in their 60s. And their motivation is their last chance for their ambition. This is a a final grasp for something in their lives. And that kind of slight desperation really makes it much more intriguing and impactful. And when you have actors of the caliber of Washington and McDormand, plus a remarkable supporting cast, that really hits home hard. And uh, yes, it's, it's brisk, but you won't forget it for many days after you see it. And that was my, yeah, that was my biggest fear, you know, as a theater person, when I found out that they were condensing this huge five-act play into something that short. But to hear all these um, reviews and these, like, appraise that you do get to follow along and nothing crazy has been crazily cut and you get the full story. So that's that's exciting for me. And I love that um, we have, you know, two classically experienced actors where, they are just so comfortable in the verse because when sometimes, especially with film, if it's not the same or if it's not the actors aren't used to it, it's more about the tempo, about the words, and you lose in kind of like the story. So here, hopefully, it'll come across a lot easier for its audiences because the actors are just so comfortable in their parts and in the verse and in the words. So I'm really excited for it. I do have some knocks against it, though. Um, oh. I do feel that because there are a lot of bits taken out of it. Yeah. Some of the motivation for some of the characters is a bit murky sometimes in terms of like missing some form of connective tissue. 
if you will, yeah, uh, to inform some of the uh, scenes that occur. I mean, the story of Macbeth is very easy to follow that even if it played as a silent film, I think we would all understand what is happening. Um, and then this is actually a good complaint to have. Uh, my second one is the supporting cast is so good. Catherine Hunter plays the three witches. Corey Hawkins plays Macduff. Uh, Moses Ingram plays Lady Macduff. Everybody is excellent when they're on screen. And the movie's so short that I selfishly wanted to see more of them. Even though Denzel and Francis are terrific and they carry the movie, the supporting cast I felt like was getting uh, undercut just a little bit by uh, how short the film was, which was a little bit of a disappointment because, uh, yeah, no, they... They also uh, came to play. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think it's um, it's interesting to see this approach with Shakespeare where I'm with Macbeth because it is such a, a well-trodden story and we're all so familiar with it. Um, I, I am a little bit nervous, I suppose, or apprehensive in terms of like uh, like we've already discussed like how it's been condensed and whether that, you know, whether that for somebody who is not familiar with the text, whether they would follow each character's motivation and and whether it's going to be accessible for everybody. But I would prefer to have something like this being done with Shakespeare's work than the generic, you know, type of stuff that we, you know, we seem to do. Yeah you know get so this is this is intriguing but yeah and it's in you know the black and white photography just looks stunning so i'm really keen to to see this one but we're yeah i'm not sure how how well it's going to do in terms of a general audience so we'll see i mean it's coming to apple which i think Um, is hilarious because you know apple's got a lot of mainstream uh, content on their provi- uh, on their streaming provider, and so it's a bit bizarre. <laughs> people are gonna like hop from Ted Lasso over to watch a black and white uh, Macbeth <laughs> film. Oh, you <goodness> me. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I I think that this is actually really exciting. Um, I know that there's a lot of uh, controversy and debate over streaming versus theatrical, but this is definitely the type of movie that um, I think does need a streamer provider to help it get as broad of an audience as it can because i think if this was just releasing theatrically i think that you know us you know crazy art house uh, cinephile types would go to see it but i mean we're living in a world right now where tammy faye uh can't even make a million dollars on opening weekend so how large is the audience for that that's willing to go to the theater right now really so it going to apple i think is a good thing yeah, although if anybody could get adults to go to the theater to see Shakespeare, it would be Denzel Washington. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he might be one of the few that could do it. And I am very much looking forward to that. And as I said at the top, this just looks gorgeous. I mean, this uh, the Del Bonnell cinematography, it, I, even in this very brief glimpse at it, it is just breathtaking. You know, it's funny because uh, Harry Melling is in this and uh, he has a bit in Buster Scruggs uh, that also kind of reminded me of in terms of like tone. If you want to like kind of get an idea of what to expect from this, I would say his sections in Buster Scruggs and then also the uh, carriage uh, sequence in Buster Scruggs. Uh, also very similar in terms of tone for what Joel Cohen is going for here. It, it just has like this really 
uh, surreal aspect to it where he doesn't get like, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like he doesn't get cute with the visuals to the point that it's like um, fantastical or anything like that. Uh, but it does harken back to cinema from previous decades of like the 40s or the 50s in a way where um, you just feel like you're watching something that was pulled out from that era, but then given like a nice new shine to it for 2021. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with like sort of the minimalist sets that the movie seems to have too, kind of harkens back to that era as well. Yeah, and that was something too that uh, I don't know, Tom, if this like stood out to you or not, but like there are some scenes where they're trying to pass it as exteriors and you can just so clearly tell it's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you think that's intentional? And that's what I was referring to before about like films from the 40s and 50s where they too were shot like on these built sets on back lots and things like that. So in a way, if if Joel Cohen were to tell me, no, no, I was trying to intentionally recreate that. I'd be like, sure. okay, you succeeded, buddy. (laughs) I buy that. I buy that. Yeah. 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 I mean, the movie's also four by three, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that emulates older films, you know, movies that were shot in Academy ratio. Exactly. Hey, it's Spanish. And it's Verlaine, and we are Game Fix. Hey, where are you going to get the latest video game news and reviews? A- anywhere on the internet. No, no, no. Where, where are you going to get unfiltered opinions, brutal truths, and pretty much things nobody has the balls to say? Ah, then, my friend, you're talking about us, the Game Fix podcast. Damn right I am. If you want to join us for our takes on gaming news, honest gaming reviews, and celebrity interviews... Uh, oh, we're doing this rhyming thing? Well, then get on your shoes. We'll eliminate your blues. Hey, you might end up with some really heavy clues. No, no. no. Find our podcast on iTunes or our website at GameFixShow.com. Hey, maybe video games aren't your thing. I was a loser once, too. We talk movies, comics, toys. To convince you that everything that we just said is true, here's Duke Nukem. Cheers, love. The Calvary's here no 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 the other line man take it from me duke nukem either listen to the game fix podcast or go f- yourself i don't really care Whoa. Whoa. greetings from evergreen podcasts we're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you the information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers i know most people don't like ads But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Uh, So that kicked off the New York Film Festival uh, officially uh, this past Friday with the world premiere. And I'll just say as a quick aside, I I also had an opportunity to go to um, the uh, after party for this. And I, I, you know, had the great fortune of being able to meet Fran. Joel uh, even was there, uh, which was nice. Uh, He's doing well and uh, he's very, very happy for Joel and everything is cool between them. I mean, obviously he was there. you know, that's got to be Corey Hawkins, Harry Melling, a few others. It was really, really nice. Um, and it, once again, kind of like what I said about Telluride and just film festivals being back in person in general. Um, it's very, very lovely to be back together with colleagues and just in a communal atmosphere of talking about 
these movies, that was something that I felt like, unless if you were hopping on a group Zoom or something, uh, that was fundamentally lost last year. So it feels really, really good to have that back again, which is a good segue to Tom, who I had the lovely chance to go to a few screenings with uh, this past week at New York. So, Tom, do you want to take us through your New York journey? Wow. Well, Matt, uh, we, uh, Dan Bear and Matt and I went to uh, some screenings together and it was it was a wonderful to meet you guys in person. And uh, B, we had a we had a wonderful time at these and a wonderful dinner, too, might I add. Oh, man. Oh, man. It was very nice. <laughs> I broke I broke out the credit card for that one. <laughs> I was like, business expense, here you go. <laughs> uh, I flew in from California for this and stayed for four and a half days and managed to see 16 movies. It's a good haul. Yes, yeah, some, were, some were extraordinary, some were less than extraordinary. But I have to say that this is a very well curated festival. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? Uh, yeah, I think my favorite thing about New York, and I've said this before, is that Unlike other festivals where you have like multiple venues playing stuff at the same time, you don't ever really I mean, I mean, NYFF has that. But you don't ever really run into conflicts in terms of like, oh, th- these two things are playing at the same time. What do I go do? Um, I, I find it to be very, very streamlined, very easy to follow. Um, it's all centrally located, pretty much all within the same area, which makes it very easy yeah, no, I mean, obviously I live here, so of course I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of those 16, um, I had two nines. Ooh. But they probably shouldn't be surprises. One is Flea on a second viewing. Yes. This was the first time I'd seen Flea on a big screen because I did see it at Sundance on my computer. Uh, and the power of that still came through in the computer. But seeing it on the big screen, that animation and that sound, the sound surprised me a lot in it. it. It just is a very powerful experience. And I cannot wait for people to see it on the big screen. It is remarkable. Uh, it really, it's, it's unique, but so accessible. I think that uh, people really enjoy it. And my other nine was with Matt and Dan Bayer. Matt was in the middle. I was on either side, and we were on either side, watching Tatane. Woohoo! <laughs> and Matt was—I—I I sensed he was chortling to himself because he had seen it before and he knew what was coming. And I think he was delighting in watching us squirm. Oh, and squirm very. he did, and it was fabulous. It was just wonderful. Uh, really, the the assured direction in this, this is a this is a director who knows exactly what she's doing and and manages to get it up there on the screen. It is uh, it's really it's something I've never seen before. And I had absolutely um, no idea what was coming. And uh, is it is it darker now? I believe I believe that's how you say it. OK, I'm terrible on foreign names. <laughs> so pardon me, Julia, wherever you are. But you are one great director, and this is really one terrific film. Um, I did have a few eights. I, percolating on Tragedy of Macbeth, I'm thinking I do have some qualms about it, so it's a strong eight rather than my initial nine because I was just so knocked out by it. But still, my God. Um, and I had three other eights that I would just want to briefly talk about. One is The Worst Person in the World. Which I just saw last night. 
this really reminded me of those really wonderfully written 70s movies about women, the Paul Mazursky movies, things like The Unmarried Woman or the like. Mm. Um, this is so well written and so well performed and so accessible. It's really accessible to, to an audience. Uh, and uh, Dan and I were talking afterwards, and we both said that watching it, we had in our own individual lives some of the same conversations that these characters have. Of course, they say it in a better way, but it's that kind of identification, uh, even 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 with the various bad decisions that the main character makes. Uh, she is always a, a complex and and fascinating personality and a great performance. I think it's really one of the best female performances is uh, Renate uh, Rains Bay. Yeah, I believe that's right. And she is just wonderful. And uh, I would I think it's going to be a major factor in the uh, international feature race. I think so, too, especially with neon behind it. Oh, boy. Uh, then I also I really enjoyed um, Ryusuke Ham- Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. Oh, my God. I'm seeing that next mm. week. <laughs> yes, it's three hours. These three hours fly by. Honestly, it deals with emotions in such a on on your sleeve way, but so intelligently and so and so expertly written and directed by Hamaguchi. And uh, it's it's basic. It's about grief and how a theater director channels his grief through a production of Uncle Vanya that he does and his interactions with the members of the cast and the people around who who help him to process what's going on in his own life. It's a very strong film and highly, highly recommended when it comes your way. And he also has a uh, second film playing at the, at the festival as well. Wheel of fortune and fantasy, which had its world premiere at Berlin earlier this year. So you get two Hamaguchi movies at this festival this year. It's great. And, and the one big surprise for me uh, is Benedetta. I mean, was that really a surprise? <laughs> well, it could have it could have been bad Verhoeven, and we've all sure sure. Those. But this is this is Verhoeven on this is pure. When I first heard about it, uh, you know, oh, it's lesbian nuns in the 17th century. I'm thinking, oh God, it's going to be showgirls in a convent, but it's not. Uh, it's 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 very it's has all the usual uh, familiar Verhoeven things: sex, lots of nudity, lots of violence. And uh, and, you know, if you introduce a uh, phallus shaped Blessed Virgin Mary in Act One, you know, it's going to be used by Act Three. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what I didn't expect is how genuinely funny it is. And it's not not funny in the showgirls way. This is legitimately set up jokes that are very slyly delivered. It's. And I'm just surprised how much I laughed. This is one of the most, more thoroughly entertaining movies I've seen this year. Benedetta, who would have thought? I am uh, eagerly anticipating seeing this in countdown, two hours and 20 minutes. Mm. <laughs> I enjoy. <laughs> Let us know if the snake has any like major things in it. If the snake talks in this like uh, the fox did in The Green Knight, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> it's like the main thing that I took away from the trailer was that snake. <laughs> Those were the, the highlights for me. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I uh, too have been you know fortunate enough to have already seen quite a lot of movies uh, from NYFF uh, 
before, uh, but it's interesting because even though like I've got like a little bit of a head start on this year's festival, uh, there's still so much to still catch up with. Uh, so, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm seeing uh, Benedetta uh, later today, Souvenir Part 2, which I actually just rewatched the Souvenir Part 1 this morning, and I still think it's very slow, but artfully well done, a little pretentious in my opinion, but everyone keeps telling me the second one's better, so we'll see. Uh, Prayers for the Stolen, I'll be checking out, The Velvet Underground, Drive My Car, Memoria, Dune, Parallel Mothers, yes, Dune, I, I still haven't seen Dune. <laughs> it's coming, Matt, it's coming. I know, Jesus Christ, I know. Uh, Vortex and The Girl with the Spider uh, were two movies I uh, did see at the press screening uh, this past week. Um, I, I will just say quickly about Vortex. Uh, it is definitely the most subdued Gaspar Noé film that he's ever made. But in terms of just still trying to make you feel like utter and complete shit by the end, he succeeds. <laughs> the movie is so depressingly bleak. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, I don't understand why it was two, almost two and a half hours long. That, that, that just made no sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like shooting a more with split screens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and one other film that I uh, had a chance to uh, check out yesterday uh, that I want to just talk about here briefly because I feel like it's not being discussed enough is uh, Mamoru Hasada's uh, Bell. Uh, this is the director of uh, Mirai that got nominated for uh, animated feature a few years ago. This is uh, his follow up film and it premiered over at the Cannes Film Festival and is playing now at New York. And this is a stunningly gorgeous movie uh probably the best animation i have seen this year and i've seen quite a few uh you know visually excellent animated films uh the story is a retelling of beauty and the beast but for the internet age and it was a little messy I will admit, I think the plot kind of veers off into one too many directions and starts to lose focus a bit. It's a little over two hours long. So for an animated film, it also, you know, feels a little long at times. It kind of has like this Lord of the Rings, Return of the King problem where it has like almost this feeling of multiple endings fades to black and you think it's over, but it's not sort of thing. But my God, the humor, the emotion of this story the visuals, as I mentioned before, the music, my audience ate this up. And so did I. I, I, I. I overcame any flaws I had with this movie because, dear God, was it just such a beautiful experience to see on the big screen. Um, there was like a subtitle issue. And I overheard that this actually happened at Worst Person in the World last night as well. So I don't know if it's an NYFF thing, but apparently and this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. Uh, two texts of subtitles would like overlay on top of each other and then you couldn't make out what was being said because you know it's just two rows of text on on top of one another so yeah I, I mean and this was happening like every minute throughout the movie so it kind of made stuff hard to follow at times but I'm, I'm hoping that it's like some sort of a glitch on their end and they'll be able to fix it uh, outside of that, there are a number of other movies that are also playing at NYFF. Uh, we've talked about some of these before, though. Uh, Come on, Come on, The Lost Daughter, Power of the Dog is the centerpiece film. So there's definitely uh, quite a lot of really great stuff to catch this year. I, I think that even if you venture off and you see one of the lesser known international titles, you'll still walk away 
uh, you know, at least feeling like you saw something different, something unique, uh, you know, something maybe like bad luck banging or loony porn, <laughs> which, oh, boy. oh, oh, God, is that a memorable experience if I ever saw one? Uh, it may not be your cup of tea, but it definitely will be at least memorable. So I'll give you that. Uh, what I want to talk about next is the trailer for another film that is playing at NYFF, but will be released on uh, Netflix November 10th uh, with a limited release on October 27th. This is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut premiered at Sundance uh, this past year called Passing, starring Tessa Thompson, Ruth Nega, Andre Holland and Alexander Skarsgård. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. I'll be damned. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? Do you dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew? No, 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 not at all. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she extraordinarily beautiful? I suppose. Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? I'd do what I want more than anything right now. i come up here to live. With you. You think they'd be satisfied being white? Who's satisfied being anything? We're all of us passing for something or other. Aren't we? I'm so excited for this one. Same. This looks really, really good. I've been told by numerous people so i know that this is not a rumor this is confirmed uh they re-tinkered with the editing for this since it's uh premiere at sundance and my one issue with the film uh from sundance was the pacing of it so i'm very curious to see how different it comes across uh when i see it again uh suffice to say though uh as you can tell once again uh, a theme with this year black and white cinematography looks incredible i'm loving this theme i'm loving this mm-hmm. theme <laughs> also this is a use of black and white that obviously plays very heavily into um the story thematically so in that regard i i think the decision to shoot here in black and white is uh it makes sense a, yeah. a very very smart one indeed yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i read this book in college i was an english major so it was my first i think like american lit class and we spent I want to say half of the semester on this book. And it's a very short book. I recommend it to everyone. And I'm so excited to see how Rebecca Hall adapted it. I understand why she chose black and white cinematography. And Ruth Nega's part is such an awesome character. And I'm so excited to see what she does with her and what type of genre this film goes to, because it could go several different ways. Co-sign on Ruth Nega, just absolutely 
crushing this role, Lauren. Um, mm-hmm. I love Tessa Thompson, but Ruth Nagel was the standout for me in this. Yeah. Uh, she, I think, I think she's honestly, I, I think she's contending for a second nomination and best supporting actress. I love that. Yeah. It looks really, really interesting. I, I am curious to see how this story is eventually like told. Cause I can imagine it's sort of, tricky material but the actors attached to this are definitely getting me interested yeah i mean the reception pre its screening at sundance there was definitely a lot of that concern uh and post seeing it it seemed to be alleviated a bit like people were saying that it handled uh its tone and its themes uh rather well and avoided any controversy however small sample size now more people are about to see it, so I'm sure there will be uh, some more discourse to come in terms of how these themes are communicated and so on and so forth. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of think pieces written about it. But at the same time, I thought it was really delicately well done and also um, just a very engrossing film in a multitude of different ways. I, I don't think that Hall is you know necessarily contending for a picture nomination or a director nomination or anything like that necessarily, but this is a very, very uh, striking debut for her. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I up. wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the So in continuing with uh, the themes here of just talking about NYFF, lots of foreign language films always play at this festival. In fact, I always joke that New York Film Festival is kind of like the best of of the Cannes Film Festival. Usually the Palme d'Or winner always plays there along with, uh, you know, a cherry pick of some of the best titles uh, from that festival. And then, of course, they've got other films playing from Berlin earlier this year, which has kind of led me to a point where I wanted to ask this question, since now a lot of countries are starting to submit their entries for this year's uh, Best International Feature Film. So let's get a temperature check here and let's ask, uh, you know, considering the field is so open right now, which movie as of today do you think is the front runner for the Oscar for Best International Feature Film? This is our weekly poll here at Next Best Picture. So I'm going to pass it over to Tom first. Uh, I've given everyone the ability to choose up to five. You don't have to give me five. But what are some titles that either you've seen or just from Buzz you think is in contention right now for this year's Oscar? Well, it's interesting that the I think the race is already on. I think it really started in earnest after Khan, And uh, there was a lot of heat around Oscar for Hardy's A Hero. Uh, that uh, there was a great deal of anticipation, and from all reports, it pretty much delivers. Uh, but then we go to Venice, and then all of a sudden there was some heat transferred to um, The Hand of God, Pablo Sorrentino's film. And now I'm beginning to, to sense the same kind of heat under uh, The Worst Person in the World, which I think is the most accessible of, of the three. Uh, but Drive My Car, I think, is going to be in, in the mix as well. Uh, 
So I, it's going to be a really, really interesting race. And I have the feeling there may be something that is not on our radar at all. It's going to come along and uh, surprise us all. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know Quo Vada Saida, uh, for, those who would, who, for those who had seen it at the uh, festival run, uh, really felt that that was a very, very powerful uh, chance at a nomination last year. And eventually it got it. But not a lot of people had seen it. It really, really flew under the radar for many until uh, last minute. So maybe there is something that a uh, few people are championing, but you know, we just haven't gotten a sense of on a broader level how widely beloved it is. Um, and that could still happen for a couple of Venice uh, titles or can titles at this time. So yeah, I'll be curious to see if that happens. Um, also too, you know, like with France, for example, uh, and not the movie France, which actually is a title this year. Um, France has so many submissions, as they always do. And I know we talked about this on a previous episode, but like between uh, Tatan and uh, Paris 13th uh, District, Petit Maman uh, happening, like, uh, man, it's like, who, who the hell knows at this point? Just throw a dart at a board and let's see what happens. Uh, Josh, what about you, though? What do, what do you think about this category? I know that you always pay close attention to it every year. Yeah, uh, I agree with the movies that Tom just listed off as being kind of the big titles. Right now, I I am leaning towards a hero as being the one to possibly win. But it, you know, there's a lot there's a lot here. Um, I think Parallel Mothers, obviously, that's another one to keep an eye out on. Um, in terms of stuff that I don't think has gotten a lot of attention, I know that there's this Russian movie, Petrov's Flu, that might be the Russian submission that also premiered at Cannes and got a pretty good response. And speaking of uh, a movie like Quavada Saida as something that when people saw it, they liked it, but it had just uh, issues with wider audiences finding it and it just needs that momentum to come up. I really hope something like that happens for identifying features from Mexico because I love that movie so much and I, I hope Mexico submits it. I think they will. It just won a bunch of um, like Mexican Oscars recently so seems pretty well liked by that country. I hope they submit it and if they do people will watch it because it is such an arresting experience if you just sit down and watch that movie. That came out back in January, if you can believe it. And yeah. I remember thinking because of Oscar eligibility rules, I was worried it wouldn't be in contention this year because it has had a very uh, unusual release schedule. I feel like we've been talking about this movie for more than two years. At this yeah, point. yeah. It. I don't know about it qualifying in like the other categories, but I did actually even check the rules. And it, the rule for international features that it has to be released in 2021 in the native country so as long as it got a release there it can qualify at least for international feature well there you go then uh i echo what you just said then as far as an under radar contender because that movie is phenomenal and oh, so good if anyone has a chance to catch up on that one uh at home at this point or however uh please do so because it's very very worth it uh bianca what about yourself um yeah so I guess I echo what everybody else has been saying, but I I, I don't know whether anyone ha has heard of a film called uh, Casablanca Beat. I got the, I have that on the list here. That's yeah. another one that got great reception and uh, ha hasn't really had much buzz since then. No, I mean I I find it. Um, I really really keen to check it out. It's uh, uh, from Morocco, I believe. It's from the director's French um, French uh, Moroccan, and I think it's it's kind of like a blend of documentary and musical 
and it's sort of like following this um this like hip-hop school i think it's called like the positive school of hip-hop which mm-hmm. sounds like kind of cool i love that and i just think it it's like a, a film that's obviously I, I don't really know too much about moroccan cinema but i, I like the idea of it sort of uh, following these these group, young group of people and i know morocco's kind of got its own issues in, ter- in terms of terrorism and some political problems there so from what i've been looking up about this movie it definitely sounds like it's one to seek out and could possibly be a contender just for the sheer sort of the story and and like you say it's the blending of the documentary genre and also like the musical genre as well so that's that could be one to look out for yeah i agree uh lauren what about you um yeah i would say the safest bed would be the worst person in the world in my opinion because of just it's going everywhere it won best actress i can um if there's something else i feel like we haven't talked about i would say flea is also up there but it's also you know that big question mark because it fits into several categories so will it go here will it go animated will it go documentary will it go all three or all two but um it is one of those films that i think everyone loves i don't i don't recall seeing someone who you know had a bad reaction to flea so i am very curious to see what france does with it and it could definitely be we could definitely see it in either one or two or maybe even three categories this year and so it's one of those crazy ones and i i'm very excited to track that one i think actually um it's not france that has that i think it's actually denmark who uh really has really yeah okay i'm pretty sure on that one yeah because i think it's uh they announced like three movies that were like the on the short list for uh denmark submission and it was one of them and it's like well it okay. i kind of feel like it's gonna it's be. gonna have to be that one uh yeah, for yeah. them but, yeah. i mean Fra- france has uh has a much trickier uh selection yeah. to make but yeah although like i would be shocked Truly, if they picked to tame, I mean, they would have balls if they did. Nothing would make me happier than to see that film get nominated. But I, I'm keeping my expectations level, Josh. I don't think they're going to select it either. I just no. everything that I know about France's selection committee when it comes to this category, like it would fly in the face of every preconceived notion I have if they picked to tame. Yeah. <laughs> you know the movie that I think that they're more likely to select uh, and could maybe even uh, contend for a win as a makeup prize for Portrait of a Lady on Fire could be Petit Maman, uh, which is being handled by Neon. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so I would would watch out for that. And then uh, another movie that I want to just throw um, a little bit towards here is a movie from Brazil called Seven Prisoners, which I would definitely watch out for. Netflix is handling uh, that one. They've actually got quite a few uh, this year because I also know they also have... um, uh, prayers for the stolen as well but uh and then and then and then one other one that could make the short list uh that i i think is very very possible is uh nadav lapid's ahead's knee which was received pretty well at uh new york uh this week and tom saw it as well and uh i i told tom prior to him seeing it uh that i was very very happy that i liked it more than synonyms uh so I was very pleased to see that others uh, felt in a similar fashion as well. Yeah, it's it's a film about filmmakers, and that's always that goes over very well at the Academy. Yep. 
Uh, and then selfishly, I know this is not going to happen, but I just wanted to say really quick. I just bought it on Blu-ray this week. If you haven't seen Riders of Justice, please do so. <laughs> yeah, I freaking love Riders of Justice. It's such a fun movie. Uh, but that's that's one that I'm thinking is not going to be selected by Denmark uh, because I think they're going to go with Flea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they should go with Flea. <laughs> All right, so head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there for best international feature frontrunner, what you think it is right now, and we'll read out the results on next week's show. For last week's poll, we asked everyone, which is your favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performance? Ooh. I mean, I have a feeling I know what won this, but the guy's delivered so many great performances over the years that is worthy to mention uh, the others besides that 2014 film that should have gotten him his second Oscar nomination. So, Bianca, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, favorite performance from him. What do you got? Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to go for the obvious, um, but uh, so I want to say Prisoners. Nice. Um, I really, really like him in Prisoners because that like performance, it's so deadpan. Like there's not much there, but the, he's it suits his role perfectly in the movie. And he's just reacting to everything. And that's, you know, kind of like he takes on the role of the viewer in that way. And you almost forget he's in the movie until he appears. And then you're like, Oh yeah, he's in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I really, uh, I really, really like him in prisoners and that's definitely worth a rewatch. Although that movie is so um, draining <laughs> to watch. Lauren, what about you? Um, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to avoid the obvious cause that's obvious. But I'm going to go with um, Southpaw. I think he kind of knocks it out in that movie. And that movie can be really dramatic at times. But I think that man carries that film and that script on his back. He is ripped. So that's like an added bonus to it, in my opinion. <laughs> and, um, it's a good, solid like movie that you could watch, I think, at any time, whenever you're feeling. And he, again, just carries it. And it's kind of... He makes you laugh, he makes you cry, and you just kind of feel like, wow, I did not sign up for this, Jake, but I'm glad that I'm here. So I'd say softball. Awesome. Josh Parm. Uh, yeah, there is an obvious answer that I think a lot of people would pick, but uh, I think then I will go with the other obvious answer, at least for me, which is his Oscar-nominated performance in Brokeback Mountain. All right. Love it. Tom? Uh, I echo B on uh, uh, Jake's performance on, in Prisoners. I mean, most of the acting attention went to Hugh Jackman, but Jake is so solid in support in this. It's a very, very subtle performance, and I really liked him in that. Uh, an unsubtle performance that I have a wonderful p- piece of my heart in that I just love every time I see it is in Bong Joon-ho's Okja. Oh, God, he's such a riot in that. He's hysterical in that. And, I mean, he's fearless in it. I mean, he really goes for broke in this. And uh, I know people say, oh, God, it's so so overacting. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) In this movie, it fit perfectly. So uh, a little uh, shout out to Ocha. Uh, And then for myself, I'm actually going to... You know what? I, I I will I will be part of the marketing machine. I highly recommend everyone check out his performance in The Guilty this weekend <laughs> on Netflix. 
He carries that film opposite no other actors for the most part. There are some other actors in it, but uh, it's really a one man show. And I always find those types of roles to always be a fun showcase for the actor that's playing them. And I think Jake uh, handles it very, very well here, playing a cop who is uh, extremely stressed, has anger management issues and is trying to navigate through a very tense situation. So check that out on Netflix. Let's see what the MVP community, though, had to say here. All righty. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Number 10, End of Watch. Oh, okay. That's that's an underrated movie, I feel that like. That is an underrated movie, yeah. Yeah. Number nine is Stronger. Oh, another mm. underrated movie. I felt like he should have gotten so much more awards traction for that. The fact that he only got a Critics' Choice nomination was baffling to me. Yeah, remember when we all thought he was going to win Best Actor for that? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Number eight is Okja. Hey! <laughs> it is uh, a performance. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you put his character from Okja and Andrew Garfield's character from Mainstream in a room together. Like, what, what would you get? <laughs> Number seven is Enemy. Duel. Oh, I like that they yeah. made the top ten. That's a really good performance from him. Number six goes to Nocturnal Animals. Oh, God. That's, uh, yeah. I forgot about Nocturnal Animals. I really, really like him in that. I, I actually feel that the uh, best element of that movie is actually the screenplay, uh, the adaptation process like like just the writing of that movie i, I find to be very fascinating yeah. uh number five his breakout role donnie darko pretty big yeah. yeah i've never understood the fascination with that movie if i'm being completely honest with you all opinion. <laughs> maybe because i saw it later and it wasn't like during the time of its cult rise you know i, I don't know you just had to be there man yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, like, it really taps into, like, you know, it's this puzzle box mystery, but it's also sort of aimed at a younger demographic, so it's, like, a younger generation sort of getting into somewhat of an art house-like thriller, so I can understand why it really captured people's imagination back then. Number four is Zodiac. He's great in that. He's really great, Dad. Really, that's brilliant. Number three is Prisoners. Yeah. Number two is his Oscar nominated role and his only one to date, sadly, in Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, figured mm-hmm. that would be number two. Mm-hmm. I wonder what number one is. Yeah. I wonder, too. <laughs> number one is, to no one's surprise, Nightcrawler. I thought it was going to be Spider-Man. <laughs> Far away from home, even. Believe it or not, Spider-Man was number 12. Uh, the Guilty was number 11, actually. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. I figured, you know, maybe it might crack the top 10 and somewhere in the bottom, uh, as these new films sometimes tend to do when we do these polls, because uh, people tend to vote uh, when they've seen the film, either at a screening or film festival like TIFF in this case. So, uh, But no, yeah. Didn't crack the top 10, but uh, yeah, people really like his performance in Far From Home. I know I did. He was having a lot of fun. Speaking of an actor who likes to have a lot of fun, Benedict Cumberbatch has another movie coming out this year. Also, too, I guess that could have also been a segue about Far From Home for a moment there. Um, Uh 
<laughs> He's starring alongside Claire Foy, Andrea Riseborough, and Toby Jones in The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Uh, this film had its world premiere at the Telluride Film Festival, played next at Toronto. It's going to be released in theaters on October 22nd, and then we'll stream on Amazon Prime Video on November 5th. Let's take a look at the trailer for The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Are you an illustrator? Um, yes. You're very muddy. I was attacked by a one-and-a-half-ton bull. Oh! I am prepared to offer you a staff position. You capture something of the cat. Perhaps because you yourself are an outcast. I do it to provide for the five hungry and precocious sisters that I live at home with. And we've had a governess. I think you're the first person to see the cats are ridiculous. <laughs> Frightened and brave. Like us. Miss Richardson has had an incredibly positive effect on this family. Were you painting something? Is something funny, Miss Wayne? Not at all. Louis White Special! Look there Your cat man. Cat man. A whole cat world. They will turn blue and communicate with us in our own language. Did you say that they would turn blue? Yes, of course. Wow. What's going on in that funny little head of yours? Louis, I'm worried about you. I feel electricity. Mr. Wayne, I have been called here because your sister is concerned for your health. You have squandered it on wretched cats and on a willful, doomed, tainted romance. How you've managed images of such delight at such a dark time. I don't know. Just remember, however hard things get, however much you feel like you're struggling, the world is full of beauty, and it's up to you to capture it, Louis and to share it with as many people as you can. Aww, cats! <laughs> the good kind of cats, not the Tom Hooper kind no, of cats. No, 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 good no. cats. Cute cats that don't sing or have digital assholes or anything like that. <laughs> I will say, I headed into this movie at Telluride, you know, thinking, okay, this is probably going to be one of the lesser titles that plays here. Because Telluride, you know, does do very solid programming but not everything can be like a best picture nominee or something like that this is one that really really surprised me i was not expecting it to have the creative vision that will sharp uh brings to this uh visually there's quite a number of very well conceived uh segments in this uh the way it is shot the aspect ratio uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, he, he, uh, he, yes, it is, you know, that eccentric, brilliant mind that we've seen him do in other things like Imitation Game or uh, Sherlock. Like he's doing that again, but he does it so freaking well <laughs> that I don't mind. And the real surprise is uh, his chemistry of Claire Foy is really, really, really good in this. Really good. Um, that it actually does add an emotional layer to the story that, like I said, took me by surprise. Um, I highly recommend everyone checks this out when it comes to Amazon Prime Video. I think that you all will find something to appreciate in it. 
I, I'm just really need this movie right now. I just need it. I mean, it's Cats, Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, like what more can you want out of life? God, is there nothing this man can't do? I mean, an American accent? I, well, that's right. Oh, that has been fired. Stop me in my tracks. <laughs> but after The Courier and Power of the Dog, and now this, wow. And Spider Man. Like, he's having an amazing year, probably the best year of his career. Now, uh, what I find interesting is that we've watched three trailers, and this is the third movie that is shot with an uh, square aspect ratio. And the other two I can kind of understand, but just looking at the trailer, I don't know why that aspect ratio is being used for this particular story. Is there something you can illuminate on that, Matt? So I have a couple of different theories on this one. I, If I had to venture a guess, I would say it's due to two things. One is time period. Two is it is very much about his mind. And maybe the aspect ratio helps you to hone in and focus more on, you know, the visual that you're seeing on screen. So I, I, I maybe there is some sort of subconscious work here at play in terms of what that aspect ratio does to you as an audience member. Um, and then it kind of just ties you in more into the film's themes a bit. Uh, but other, but I don't have confirmation on that. Uh it, 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 I can tell you this much. It, it's more, it's something that I was uh, taken aback by at first when I saw it, uh, as far as, because I didn't know, you know, when the movie started playing, I was like, oh, this is okay. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be like this. Um, but I can assure you that just the visuals are so colorful, so dynamic. There's so many tricks that are being deployed in this that uh, I, I kind of just got swept up. Uh, by it all yeah i mean the visuals do look pretty inventive from this trailer so i am looking forward to it a little bit more than i was initially yeah all right and now we got one more trailer to discuss here tom hanks you know originally i wasn't going to talk about this one i'll be honest with you all but it's tom hanks <laughs> you know anytime tom hanks is in a movie we should talk about it shouldn't we this is a apple film called Finch, post-apocalyptic sci-fi, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Now, where have I heard that name before? Uh, mm. <laughs> Is that the real reason why we're talking about this trailer? <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're honestly talking about it because of Tom. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. This is going to be uh, released here uh, November 5th, and it will be on Apple TV plus for everyone to check out. So let's take a look at the uh, trailer for Finch. Give some thoughts. It all happened so fast. There was a solar flare. Goodbye crops and food. Goodbye everything. So I did. Frightened. And so alone. And I found you. What shall we have? Get your elbows off the table. Get your elbows off the table. All right, you're next. You see, I'm developing something interesting. Giant leap of faith. Now, if you can speak, tell me something about you. That robots must protect dog. Warning. 
we don't go before that storm hits, we'll die, all of us. As soon as you can walk, we're leaving. One, two, one, two, one. If that's falling. One, two. Head west, over the mountains. Would you like me to drive? Don't oversteer. That's oversteering. Sorry. Ease your foot up just a hair. Perfect. I learned to talk dog. I don't think it likes me. Come and see this. Tie the RV down. Hang on to something. We should be safe once we get into the mountains. Those things will happen. Like 150 degree heat, UV radiation, and people hiding in the shadows. Go now! Do you think we'll make it? Not without my team. What we do, we do together. I believe in you, Fish. So we're uh, already remaking the Midnight Sky, I see. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, I was thinking like Midnight Sky meets Chappie. Yeah, which is not a mashup that really (laughs) I would like to see, but okay. (laughs) And, And this seems to have the worst of both. Yeah, I'm always curious whenever Tom Hanks signs up for a project because he very rarely ever misses when he signs up for something. So... I have to believe that he saw some potential here uh, with this with this material. And, you know, he looks good. He's he's doing um he's doing like a, a weird thing to his voice uh, in this trailer. It's not so much an accent, but it's like a flexion sort of thing that he's doing outside of that, though. <sighs> yeah, I will admit I'm not really too taken in by the premise of this visually or anything along those lines. I'm hoping that Sapochnik can direct it well enough to just make it a solid, good movie. I'm not expecting it to be a great movie, Uh, but kudos to the uh, marketing team for using you're so cool from true romance as a way to hook me into this trailer because I, I I just adore that Hans Zimmer track so much yeah although it was almost like distracting at first it's like man it just took me right back to 1993 <laughs> <laughs> no but I think Tom Hanks also knows his audience and I think this will be a very good winter dad movie yes and yeah I mean, I personally have a rule where if a dog is the main character, I can't see it. It's just something I was born with. I just can't get connected to animals in film. But I think every single middle-aged man and up and dad will enjoy this. I think he very much is aware of his demographic. I, too, am very fearful for the dog. (laughs) Yeah, I saw a dog and I was like, nope. (laughs) Nope. I'm I'm, I'm like, how is this movie going to end, people? (laughs) Oh like, Apple TV needs to state it. Like, if it's if he's okay, then I'm in. If they don't state anything, I'm gonna wait for people to tell me. I, I think when I see the film, that's going to be my uh, my tweet reaction. It won't be was the movie good or not? Did I like it? It's gonna be the dog is okay, people. Then <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. There needs to be like a website where it lists about whether like if 
the dog reaches the end of a movie. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. I think there is a website. <laughs> oh, is I, I think there is one dedicated to like, is the dog dead or something like that, where <laughs> it will literally give you a list of movies and tells you if the dog survives to the end or not. <laughs> oh, I remember God. during um, the press for, I think, The Mountain Between Us. Oh, yeah. Which I guess they really needed to sell like people to see that movie, unfortunately. I think their last trailer, they like tweeted, the dog will be okay. Please see our movie. <laughs> like I respect. That kind of stinks of desperation, though, doesn't it? Okay. I need to know that. I think that's something that I need to know. All right. Well, we'll know soon enough. Here, I'm curious to check this one out. Uh, mostly for Tom. I, I, he's the kind of actor, and I have a very, very short list of people. Um, you know, obviously, obviously, I see anything, you know, and, and everything, regardless, most of the time. But there are some actors that, regardless of what they sign up for, I'll see them in anything, even if it's something completely ridiculous or just not my, you know, not for me. Um, this is this is one of them where it's like I could see myself easily skipping this if I had to. But because Tom Hanks is in it, I'm going to give it a watch. Yeah. And I, there's also might be a fringe visual effects contender. Who knows? You know, t- Josh? I was thinking the same exact thing. How many of these freaking movies have we seen where they go for the robot and they just, yep, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, the robot in particular that popped on my radar. What was it? Was it Real Steel was one? Yeah, yeah, that got nominated. So, and yep. also just in general, there is always like one or two movies that you have like never heard of and didn't have any attention at all. And then it winds up on the short list. Yep. That's like the visual effects branch is, uh, Achilles heel. The left heel is uh, CGI animals. The right heel is CGI robots. I, I just they, they just fall for it every time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's answer some questions from the fans and we'll call it a day here today on the next best picture podcast. Let's see what the MVP film community had to send it to us. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment. And we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. Josh from Indy, do you think the terrible box office for the eyes of Tammy Faye will hurt Jessica Chastain's chances at a Best Actress actress, uh, nomination or win? I personally don't think so because I think Jessica is a fire gun when it comes to campaigning. So she's going to make sure she is in front doing interviews and just in our faces the entire time. So I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as people are saying it's going to be. Yeah, I still think that she's relatively safe. I think the box office would have obviously helped put winter sales a bit more but uh i still think that she's okay at least for a nomination i think the win was going to be competitive regardless but just i think given the nature of the role and what she has already put out there and as you said lauren how great of a campaigner she can be i i still feel pretty good about her at least having a nomination 
Yeah, it would be different if if uh, the box office uh, atmosphere was robust and everything was making money and this tanked. Every nothing, you know, it's very very difficult for a movie to break out. Uh, and uh, so I don't think people are paying quite as much attention to bad box office unless it's a real surprise. And I think this box office mostly like reflected the film as a whole. I think the film as a whole's chances have been lowered because of it. I don't think Jessica's chances have been lowered because of it. Speaking of uh, surprise, uh, Tom at Hogstand Dan asks, uh, what was your biggest New York Film Festival surprise? Ooh. Well, for me, Benedetta certainly was. Um, and bad luck banging or loony porn, I had no idea what I was getting into. And everything in it surprised me that it was there. Uh, it doesn't add up to a completely satisfying film. But boy, I sat there with my jaw dropped uh, in a, in a uh, I can't believe I'm watching this kind of way. Uh, to Tane, I knew about. This one, I didn't. And uh, so that would be uh, another big surprise for me. Robinette at uh, Quata Summer asks, uh, what are some pre-festival season movies that you think could get some Oscar nominations? Uh, we just did our full Oscar predictions uh, recently in every single category. And I, too, was looking through to see, OK, is there anything pre-September that we have nominated in any categories. And the one that stood out to me the most was uh, all of us seem to be uh, unified in predicting Cruella for Best Costume Design nomination. Although that category, actually, I took a look at it. It's actually more competitive than I realized. I think there's a world where even that might miss. Totally. Um, outside of that, though, with a few, what, animated films like Mitchell's versus the Machines and Luca getting an animated feature, potentially. Yeah, the beginning part of the year, uh, a lot of slim pickings this time around. Yeah. Uh, do we classify Coda as pre-festival, even though it played at Sundance? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. First half of the year. Mm-hmm. I would say that's another one. But again, it's also like, I think struggling a bit to stay in the conversation so we'll have to see how that plays out but uh, marley matlin is campaigning yes uh all right oh boy at second sun 02 does anyone think the shock headline of quote denzel washington receives his first bafta nomination for the tragedy of Macbeth"? end quote could boost his oscar narrative later this season well, he has to get the BAFTA nomination first. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you all right now, I'm not going to predict him to get nominated at BAFTA because I just feel that they've got something against him and it's stupid. Yeah, but but can, can you imagine like they snub him for doing Shakespeare? Like Shakespeare? what does this man have to do if they snub the him for Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Role for men. If there ever was a time for them to fully like embrace and nominate him, it would be this because also too – Best actor, when you really take a step back and look at it for a minute, it really does feel like the five for that category, maybe more so than any other, is really solidified. I think there's a little wiggle room with maybe like one or two slots. So there, there's something to play with. Also, the other thing with Bathroom to remember is that we do now have the jury system. So hopefully that will rectify all of these previous injustices where he has not been nominated. So I still think that his chances are certainly better this year. But given the history, you want to be cautious. 
and I want to be very clear about this. I think he is a surefire bet for a nomination. I do not believe he's contending for a win. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to give him his third Oscar for a Macbeth movie. Right. Also, too, uh, this isn't a question, but um, it didn't come up in conversation earlier, and I should just address it now. Uh, Francis McDormand could go lead or supporting, in my opinion. My gut tells me they are going to push her lead. Um, I think she'll have a tougher time getting in there. But given the fluidity of that race right now outside of Stewart and Chastain, uh, there is a world where she does get in there. Um, I think she would have the 100% sure guarantee of getting into supporting. Uh, actress might be a little bit more competitive, but I think she could go either way. What do you think, Tom? I think so. Um, it was, it's a short film and she's only in about half of it. So if she was, she would be competing against actresses who are, they are the center of the film. Right. Um, so I think it would be much wiser to go uh, supporting and it would not be category fraud. Because Lady Macbeth is a supporting role, even in the long version. Oscar H, the film, V underscore film underscore maniac. Which of the big late-breaking contenders this year? Don't Look Up, Nightmare Alley, House of Gucci, Licorice Pizza, West Side Story, Being the Ricardos. Do you think has the biggest chance of underwhelming? And which one are you most confident will live up to the hype? Uh, Underwhelming. Mm. Yeah. I mean, being the Ricardos, I don't know what that is going to be. <laughs> I, I think that's going to be the yeah. underwhelming one, in my opinion. Maybe outside yeah. of Nicole Kidman, potentially an actress. Mm. But as far as living up to the hype... Nightmare Alley? I, I think Nightmare Alley and Licorice Pizza, I feel very confident about. Yeah. I also think West Side Story is going to do really well, in my opinion. Oh, I think it will as well. Um, I just... Don't know if it'll do really well for me personally. That's <laughs> not the Gucci, question. Maybe. I know. Let's, let's have some faith in House of Gucci. You never know. <laughs> all right, everyone. Let's let's do it all together now. Yeah. Father, son, and the House, house, house of, of Gucci. Gucci. House of Gucci. Yeah. You gotta get the right pronunciation. There's that. your prayer circle, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> right, Josh. Matthew Aaron Anderson. Um, what are some films that you went in dreading to see this year, but you came out uh, surprised at how good they were? Hmm. My uh, first surprise of this, I don't know, I wouldn't call it the season because it's not going anywhere in my opinion, but I really like Stillwater for some reason. That was really good. Rem- yeah. Yeah, I remember being like, oh, this is not going to be so great. And then the first act was okay, but then the second half, I was completely invested in it. And I really did enjoy it. I kind of wish... More people saw it and more people appreciated it. But I would say that was my first big surprise of the season. But it's still really early, in my opinion, for me, at least. The one that comes to mind is not entering like the Oscar conversation at all, which is ironic because we had kind of thought it was at one time. But honestly, to me, it was uh, The Woman in the Window. I, I know that everybody thinks it's, it's a terrible movie, but I honestly thought it was very entertaining. And I was shocked by how much I actually found myself enjoying it. It's a it's a fun movie. Come it's on. fun. It's, it's trashy fun. fun. Yeah, is exactly. Yes, yeah, it is. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was gonna say I was really worried about A Quiet Place Part Two, just because of how sequels are in general. But I I was so really put off watching it for a while, but then when I I finally watched it, I was pe- pleasantly surprised. So. 
I know it's probably, you know, not going to be a contender for any awards, but I, I really, really was um, happy I actually committed to watching that movie because horror movie sequels, yeah, yeah, let's not go there. I was um, actually pleasantly surprised that everybody's talking about Jamie. Uh, the, the musicals this year kind of underwhelmed me so far, and I kind of had a low expectation of this because it could be tricky material. It was handled badly, but it's handled very well, and I'm surprised at just how sweet it is. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think right now I, I, as to, I, I guess, um, <sighs> you know, one that it, it, it's borderline. Uh, because we, I guess we kind of already knew it was going to be good because of its uh, status premiering at Telluride, but I'm still pretty shocked by how much I like King Richard. I think before the Telluride announcement, if you were to ask me, oh, like, what is this going to be, and so on and so forth, I thought it was just going to just be a nice, run-of-the-mill, you know, uh, film that people will watch over the Thanksgiving holiday, and it is going to be that still, but at the same time, for it to be the kind of movie where I'm even now like saying to myself, oh, no, like this is more than just the Will Smith show. And this has like great supporting performances. And it's one of the best films of the year. I mean, like I, I didn't expect that. Scott Kernan, every year there always seems to be an out of the ordinary, shocking SAG nomination that no one is predicting based on everything that you have seen so far or think or have heard about. Uh, which performance do you think stands a possible chance of being the surprise SAG nomination this year? Ben Platt. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got one. Um, and I'm not just saying this because it's coming out this week, but I would say Jake Gyllenhaal and the guilty. That would fit the bill. I think actors would really appreciate, you know, that one man show aspect. Uh, I don't think it goes any further than that. But I could see that happening. Yeah. You know, those like populist type of movies, they tend to do very well at SAG. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luca Gilberti. Oh boy, this is a question that I'm dreading asking, but here we go. What are we making of Mass's Oscar chances at the moment? I feel like Bleecker Street has already dropped the ball on this one, although I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about that one. I think as of now, I only have it getting in for screenplay. They're campaigning it in New York and L.A. They did uh, some events last week. They're doing some more this week. Uh, Ann Dowd is front and center. She's actually out there promoting the film, doing Q&As. I still feel good about her. And I think once people see the film, my hope is that Jason Isaacs will be able to come into the conversation more for supporting actor. Um, but I hate to admit it. I'm leaning with you, Josh, right now, where... I'm looking at it as that lone, cool screenplay nomination. Yeah, we've yeah. gotten that like every year for a while now. Uh, Knives Out, The Lobster. Yeah, some, something or another always ends up like getting that distinction. And yeah, like it, it's fitting the mm -hmm. bill. But God, those performances, I like those are four of the best performances that like anyone is going to give this year. I just I don't know how you pass up on that. Yeah. And just, with supporting actress, we just need to know where Francis and Dorman's going to go. We need to know where Katrina Balf is going to go. We need to go know um, if both passing girls are going to be in lead or if they're going to drop Tessa. Like we need to 
figured that out before. Uh, drop drop roof you need. Oh yeah. Okay. We could do that. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, no. Tess Tess is definitely the lead. Hundred percent. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we need to see where all of those girls lie before I feel like we could assess Anne's true potential. But it, it just broke my heart to see them skipping the festivals. Uh, I don't understand. Like, Flea went everywhere. Why couldn't Mass go to at least one of them? Yes. And just to be uh, in the conversation with these uh, the films they're competing with. Now it's completely off, I'm afraid, many people's radar. And what does it come out? October 8th. Oof. Oh, soon. Oh, that's early. That's uh, early. That's not great. <laughs> yep. Well... For those of you that haven't seen it, please support that film. Please check it out. It's one of the best films of the year. I I, I guarantee you it will leave you shook by the end of it all. Uh, Final question here from an old friend. Ryan C. Showers. Do you all expect Halloween Kills to be better, worse, or about the same as Halloween 2018? P.S. I miss you all. We miss you too, Ryan. Ryan. Hey. My... Halloween of 2018 was overhyped to me and I liked it, but I thought it was going to be something truly great. And what I got instead was something that was more akin to the 1970. uh, Oh God, I can't remember what year it came out right now. 78, 78 original Halloween. And I don't, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of the slasher genre in general. So for me, that didn't equate to it being great. But for others who love that genre and love that it was hearkening back to that original style a bit more, I can understand why they were so enthusiastic about it. This one, I mean, I'm still looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the mayhem, the carnage and the kills of it all and the continuation of the story. But yeah, I'm going to go with it being like somewhere in the same realm. I don't know if it's going to be marginally better or worse. That's what I'm sort of thinking, too, because what's funny for me with watching the Halloween from 2018 is that when I first saw it, I really wasn't that into it. But that was before I saw all the other Halloween sequels. And after seeing those, um, (laughs) it it looked like a masterpiece in comparison. So just. In no kind of fitting it in with the rest of the films in the franchise, I, it did sort of elevate itself a little bit. And, you know, this sequel, I, I think I'm just walking in with very similar expectations. If it can at least match that one, then I think it'll be fine. All right. Well, that'll do it here for episode 262 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Bianca Gardner. Yep, you can find me on Twitter too at the film B. Lauren Lamagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And Tom, I hope I see you again soon, O'Brien. I can't wait to see you, Matt. You can find me on Twitter in the meantime at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 262 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.